Last week, we were led by Ross in a very deep study of the consequences of sin. We saw that ultimately sin leads to despair, but praise Jesus, wherever there is despair, there is hope. And today, we're going to turn our attention to chapter 4 of Genesis and see firsthand the impact that sin had on the family of Adam and Eve and how it resulted in the formation of two types of worship of God. One, which so beautifully illustrated by Zoe's sweater today, Team Jesus, and the other, one that is not pleasing to God at all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity. Help us always, Lord, to have our confidence in you and not in ourselves, we pray. Amen. Please join me in verse 1 of chapter 4. Now Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. We saw in chapter 3, Eve, whose, wife, whose name means life giver, was fully aware of God's promise that her offspring would in fact bruise the head of the evil enemy, literally causing the death of the serpent, Satan. Eve longed for her own offspring that would accomplish and perhaps defeat the enemy. So we begin chapter 4 with anticipation, and we see that Adam had intimate knowledge of his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. Could this male child be the one that would restore what had been lost through sin? Would he be the one to crush the head of the serpent? It's clear from the original Hebrew that this is exactly what Eve longed for. She hoped that her firstborn would be the one to redeem them. A literal translation of the Hebrew text of Genesis chapter 4, verse 1 would read, And the man knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have gotten a man, Jehovah. Eve hoped that Cain would be the God-man who would rescue them from sin, the promised redeemer who would destroy sin and Satan once and for all. Sadly for her, Cain wasn't the answer. As we read further, we'll discover that his life proved to be very different to what his parents hoped for or thought possible. Verse 3, now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Cain and Abel both followed their natural heart desire to serve in stewarding God's earth. Cain farmed the land, and Abel was a farmer of livestock. Much discussion, of course, has been made about verses 3 and 4, and whether or not Cain and Abel were instructed to bring an offering to God, and if so, were they told previously exactly what to bring? Or is it possible that they independently decided to bring an offering and therefore brought whatever each wanted? Now, I think there are a number of compelling details in the story which make it reasonable to conclude that both Cain and Abel had a prior understanding of what God expected when it came to offerings and therefore God looked, and why therefore God looked favorably on Abel and his offering. 
First thing to note is that we know this wasn't the first offering or sacrifice recorded in Scripture. Just a few verses earlier, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, we read that after the fall, God made clothes of animal skin for Adam and Eve to cover their nakedness, which they had previously tried to cover with fig leaves. God used animal skins, which means animals were killed. And most likely, they were killed as a sacrifice for the sin in the garden. Imagine with me, if you will, Adam standing before God, realizing the enormity of what he has just done by taking the fruit that was forbidden. And realizing in that moment that a pure, innocent animal, perhaps a lamb, would be killed to cover his and Eve's nakedness. A lamb. That sometime before, Adam had held in his arms and named. Now he sees that it's prepared to die. Its skin is to be used as a covering for his and Eve's nakedness. You see, sin causes death, and God warned Adam and Eve of this. And now in chapter 3, verse 21, the couple see firsthand that their sin caused something to die. The death of that animal to cover their nakedness was a motif that would be repeated again and again and again, pointing to Christ and the sacrifice that he would make on the cross. This offering in the garden to cover their nakedness serves to foreshadow Christ's offering on the cross as his righteousness covers our sins. In both cases, in the garden and on the cross, blood was shed. Because as Hebrews 9, verse, chapter 9, verse 22 reminds us, the shedding of blood is necessary for the forgiveness of sins. The fact that God made an offering for Adam and Eve's sin to cover them, and then later Abel and Cain offerings, at least one of them included animal's death, makes it reasonable to conclude that God had instructed Adam and Eve to continue to make such offerings, and they naturally passed on these instructions to their children. If we look at verse four of, if we look at chapter four, we can see very clearly Abel presented a slain animal. According to Genesis chapter nine and verse three, God only permitted the use of meat for food immediately after the flood and not before. So there would be no justification for Abel killing an animal in Genesis chapter four, unless of course he knew previously from the repeated example of his parents, exactly what God expected as an offering. It's reasonable to therefore conclude that Abel understood that an animal sacrificed pointed towards Christ, a future sacrifice to atone for his sin and for mine. And I believe that this example so early in Genesis really serves as a reminder to us of our need for Christ. Our blood can't save us. Only Christ's blood can save us. In Old Testament times, when a person brought a sin offering to God, it required the shedding of innocent blood as a symbol of what Christ would do on the cross. Both brothers understood this. Both would have been taught by their parents, but only Abel 
brought the required sin offering. Cain instead brought what would later become in Jewish worship a thank offering consisting of fruit. There are many examples in the Bible of where fruit was brought to God as an offering, but it was never brought as a sin offering. You might like to make a note of the following passages as examples of fruit offering. Exodus 23 verse 19 says, The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. Leviticus 23.10 tells us, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. The first fruits served to acknowledge and thank God for providing the Israelites with the land that flowed with milk and honey. It was never intended that a fruit offering to God would count as a sin offering and therefore to be accepted by him for this particular purpose. Cain and Abel both understood the significance of what was required of them. However, one chose to follow God's instructions and the other chose to follow God, but on his own terms, not God's. Abel knew he was a sinner and he needed saving. He knew he could not save himself or atone for his sins. In contrast, Cain just wanted to thank God that he was Cain. Cain, the firstborn. Cain, the savior in his mother's eyes. Cain, the one with the privilege and status. Cain, the one who skillfully brought out crops from the cursed ground. You see, Cain trusted in himself and his abilities and came before God with pride in his heart. The more I reflect on Cain and his life, I'm reminded of the story Jesus shared in Luke chapter 18, verses 10 through to 14. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift up his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow and saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Cain had a problem. It's a problem that's polluted humanity and it's entrenched in our very nature. Cain knew what God wanted from him, but his pride in himself led him to give what he wanted to God instead. Cain was proud of his achievements. He had caused, as I said before, good crops to grow out of cursed ground. His own efforts were in his mind equal to any that could be afforded by the sacrifice of a substitute. By providing his own fruits, Cain was making a statement that said, 
I am in myself good enough. Yet God makes it very clear that in our sinful state, we are never good enough for God. Our own righteousness is like filthy rags. We have all fallen short of God's glory. God wanted both brothers to acknowledge their need of a savior. Someone would that, that would save them because like us, they could not save themselves. God wanted both brothers to acknowledge their need for Jesus, the Messiah. The sacrifice both needed to make pointed towards Jesus. But only Abel obeyed. Only Abel lived by faith. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4 tells us, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, though he was, uh, through which, sorry, he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Cain thought he didn't really need to have God's provision of a savior, but rather just needed to thank God that he had made him Cain. Of course, God saw things very, very differently. God isn't interested in our own righteousness or our own self-importance. He wants us to know and understand that we depend on his son and his righteousness. The moment we take our eyes off of Jesus and his accomplishments and instead focus on ourselves and our own attainments, we are on very dangerous ground. Verse 6. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain was now in a very perilous place. Anger towards both God and Abel had burned in his heart. The micro-expressions on his face shouted anger that God had shown approval to Abel's sacrifice and not his own. But notice God's question here. Why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? Look at our loving God, gently imploring an angry Cain, what gives you the right to be angry? In this tender moment, God provides Cain with an opportunity to repent of his pride and anger and restore the relationship. God offers Cain the chance to submit to his loving authority and accept that only God can save him. He can't make it on his own no matter how blessed he is, no matter how talented he is, no matter how skillful he is at producing crops. If you do well, will you not be accepted? asks God. Cain could choose right worship if he was willing to, but instead he wanted to continue under his own form of false worship. Reflecting on this verse, Spurgeon wrote, Although Cain was in such a bad temper that he was angry and looked despondent, God, the infinitely gracious one, came and spoke with him and patiently reasoned with him. It is wonderful that God should speak with man at all, considering man's insignificance. But for the Lord to speak with sinful man is a far greater marvel. For him to reason with such a man as Cain 
a murderer in heart, and soon to be a murderer indeed. This is a miracle of mercy. God wanted Cain to respond to his love and mercy. He knew that Cain's sin would take full control of him unless he did. And God warned Cain that sin was crouching at the door. God describes sin in terms of lying in wait like a predator lurking for its prey. Cain needed to flee from sin and run to God. In that moment, Cain needed to choose Christ and not allow the sin in his heart to take root. Romans chapter 6, verse 12 warns us, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Friends, whenever we are faced with sin, lying in wait like a predator lurking for us, God provides a way of escape. He is faithful. God always provides. But the question is, do we always follow his escape plan or do we remain only to be ensnared by sin? If Cain, right there, right then, had responded to God positively, he would have had been following God's escape plan. His story would have been so different than it actually is recorded. Sadly for him, Cain allowed that sin that was crouching at the door to take complete control of him and lead him down a very dark and murderous path. Verse 8. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. We see now God's warning from chapter 3 to Adam and Eve that the enmity between her offspring and the serpent's offspring was growing. Henry Morris states, The enmity of the old serpent completely poisoned Cain's soul when God could not, would not, sorry, the enmity of the old serpent completely poisoned Cain's soul when God would not receive Cain's gift and it would not rest until Abel's blood was spilled. Cain took his brother to the very place that he had previously determined to disobey God. He took Abel to the field, the field that he had gathered his own offering to God and there with his bare hands he killed his brother Abel. His blood soaked into the soil of the ground Cain killed Abel instead of the lamb that pointed to Christ. He killed his brother and brought sin upon himself instead of killing the lamb and being covered by God's grace. Sin had taken full control of Cain. We saw in chapter 3 that when sin entered the world, it corrupted relationships between humans and God, husbands and wives, and now brother with brother. Cain became the first murderer he had killed his very own brother. What a tragic chapter in a life that could have been so different if Cain had listened to God and repented. Verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Notice again how loving God is. He gives Cain a chance to confess his sin. God knows all things. He knew what Cain had done. He was not seeking for knowledge when he asked Cain these questions, but rather to give Cain an opportunity to confess and seek forgiveness. Instead, Cain opts to compound his sin and lie to God. 
He claims no knowledge of his brother's whereabouts. He even goes so far as to be contemptuous to God and ask if he's his brother's keeper. What a fool. God is clear to Cain. He knows what he has done already. And since Cain is unwilling to seek repentance for his action, God spells it out to him. The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. Abel's blood was crying out to God in much the same way the blood of martyrs of all ages cry out to God for justice. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 35, Jesus identified Abel as the first of the righteous martyrs for God's way of life. Jesus told the same Pharisees who would later kill him, on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24, compares Jesus' ultimate sacrifice to that of Abel's, in that both gave their lives for doing right. But Jesus' sacrifice speaks better things than that of Abel. As tragic as his murder was, Abel's death serves to remind us that God's people will face suffering and be persecuted for obedience to God. However, we should take comfort and be reassured that this suffering is for God's glory and that ultimately God hears the blood of the martyrs and will respond. The book of Revelation, chapter 6, verse 10, depicts the martyrdom that some of the God's people will face in the end time. These martyrs cry out, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Revelation chapter 6, verse 10. Moving on to verse 11 of Genesis chapter 4. And now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on earth. Notice here the parallel. Cain trusted in his own ability to bring, to produce fruit from cursed ground. He used this fruit as an offering to God. Now this same ground soaks up the blood of his brother and God curses Cain from that very same ground. It will never again give of its strength to Cain. Cain's reliance on his own ability to produce good fruit by his own powers, both spiritually and physically, have now come to an end. For the rest of his life, he would be reminded of his dependence on God to supply all he needed through the mercy of others. Verse 13. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Notice Cain's reaction. Cain knows he deserves punishment, but he fears that he will be punished too harshly. He sees now that he can no longer depend on the ground to support him, and he feels that he will now also be cut off from God and his protection. He fears that he will become prey to any member of the human family seeking revenge against Abel's murder. Cain's biggest fear? Simply that his act of murder would cause his own. Verse 15. 
And the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. God, in his mercy, places a mark on Cain so that future generations would spare him and not seek revenge. By sparing Cain from the punishment he deserves, God was providing a perpetual reminder of God's mercy towards Cain. Cain deserved to die for what he did, but God provides Cain a reminder of his love, even though he deserves death. In his commentary on the book of Genesis, K.A. Matthews asks, why does God preserve the life of this murderer? This is particularly perplexing since the Torah requires capital punishment for murder. No substitute for this crime, such as a monetary penalty, was acceptable. Perhaps the answer is that by the sign, God prevents the spread of bloodshed that otherwise would escalate. Additionally, God is declaring that life and death are his prerogative, which he does not share with anyone except by divine sanction. God's judgment against Cain is restrained by his grace. Now the remaining verses in chapter 4 show that Cain left his home and later settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. His descendants grew in number, and we have a number of significant individuals mentioned, of course, in the genealogy that followed. Now we would need another sermon, indeed, to fully examine all of the impact each descendant had on the human race. So I would encourage you to take some time this week to explore the verses for yourselves as you reflect on this chapter. One thing that does become immediately clear, Cain, Cain's descendants continue along his path of rebellion towards God, and sin touched every generation that followed. It's only when we come to Enosh, who is the son of Seth, the one born of Eve to replace Abel, that we see people beginning to call on the name of the Lord. To close, I've got two application points that I'd like us to think on and reflect on. The first is, are we offering God our own fruit? Are we offering God our own fruit? Cain thought that he could be spiritual and please God on his own terms, based on his own merit. Are we striving to please God with our own effort and merit? Or are we trusting in Jesus for his completed work? Are we looking at others around us and praying the prayer of the Pharisee, thanking God that we are not sinners like others? And are we telling God how good we are in our own eyes? Perhaps we feel proud that we haven't committed a particular troubling sin in a long while, and we think we've won the victory over it in our own strength. Or are we seeing others battling with issues that the enemy knows are of no particular weakness for us and we feel a sense of smug self-sufficiency? It's my prayer that we are coming to Jesus humbly and seeking his mercy and forgiveness. Friends, we need Christ and we need to come to Christ knowing that he's the only way for us to be saved from ourselves and our destructive lives. Only he can give us the power and the victory that we seek. Jesus tells us in John chapter 15 that without him, 
we can do nothing. We can do nothing that will qualify us to God. We need Jesus. We need our lives transformed by the Holy Spirit living within us, giving us the desire to serve God and giving us an ability to worship God the Father in spirit and truth. Because a life of faith is the only thing that is pleasing to God. Application point number two, and we'll end. The inconvenient truth. The inconvenient truth. Cain thought that he could serve God in a way that was convenient to him. He thought that he could worship God in a way that was convenient to him and still receive the same blessing that only comes from faithful obedience to God. Following God's plan as given to him required him to surrender himself and depend on God for his righteousness. Rather than humbling himself before God and obeying God's revealed instructions, which would have been an inconvenience, he opted to do his own thing and please God on his own terms. Friends, whenever we think we can swap God's way for our own way, it's a snare that will rob us of our peace and our position in Christ. We're warned repeatedly throughout the Bible that God's way is the only way for us to live, but yet we see that the world whispers to us that God will be okay with things if we change things up to be more convenient and more acceptable. If we just tone down or keep silent on matters that aren't so popular today. Why stick firmly to God's word and obey it with all your heart when you can reinterpret or repackage it to be more accepting of our modern thoughts and desires? We see here that Cain practiced this very same approach and thought he could worship God on his own terms. But God requires from us total obedience to his word, no matter how inconvenient it might be. Abel knew it would cost him his life. But praise God, his short life serves as a witness to, a witness to the blessing found in Jesus when we trust and obey him and him alone. Friends, let's make a decision to serve Jesus as he instructs and reveals in his word, no matter what the earthly cost is to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you that you gave us your son Jesus as our sacrifice so we could never save ourselves from our sin. We thank you, Lord, for the faithfulness of Abel and his example of obedience to your word. We are grateful, Lord, for the time that we have shared here today. And we are grateful that you have met with us and blessed us. It's my prayer, Lord, that each person here will be filled with your Holy Spirit and be touched through the worship that we've enjoyed together and through these words, and that each of us will take to heart the message you have given us. We pray, Lord, that we will honour you and you alone with lives of faith and trust in you, lives that reflect your love and mercy and glorify your name. Bless each of us, Lord, because we know that without you, we are nothing. Father, we pray that you will keep us safe until we are able to gather again. 
In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.